Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have a founder that he's done it multiple times with success, with failure. I think that we're gonna be able to touch on every single one of those lessons learned and, and stories that he had to uh, encounter during his own entrepreneurial journey. So I guess that without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Peter Briffett. Welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? So originally born in Hong Kong, but you did jump quite a bit from country to country. So tell us about this. I did indeed. I was born in Hong Kong. Um, again, then, then lived in Kenya, went to Africa for a while. And this is during my school school days and then lived in Singapore um, until I found the rainy island we call England. Um, no other. I think that my parents just kept trying to leave me and I kept following them around, but they jumped around quite a bit, but they were just sort of I guess hippies that love traveling. So it was it was a good upbringing actually. It taught you know you end up seeing a lot of places and experiencing a lot of things. So I'm not sure that helped me have a lot of business failures or successes, but it certainly was an interesting childhood. Do you think that has a maybe influence? Because I I've I've interviewed quite a few founders as well that had an upbringing where they were traveling quite a bit growing up, and and I guess that perhaps influenced them the way that they were able to deal with uncertainty and with and with changes and, and adapting. So how would you say it has influenced you as well? No, I, I think it, it probably very much does. Um, new schools, new new environments, new countries um, probably makes you quite resilient to change as well. And in fact, quite enjoy change and, and get quite excited about mayhem and chaos, which is probably a good trait for, for someone that's starting a business to uh, to be able to do. So obviously, as you were saying, you got back to England to study for university, and then after yeah, that, you raining. got into. It never stopped raining. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I hear you. I hear you, and, and obviously very great there. But uh, but obviously this this was the segue into getting into tech. So tell us about this. Yeah, well, definitely. When I I, I was um, based in the UK, and actually when I finished university, I went over to the US as for a summer 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 deal to sell books door to door um in in a couple of states in the us which was definitely which is another story but my, my first proper job uh was working um and this was in the mid 90s so I'm, I'm certainly um i'm certainly getting older but uh it was selling modems uh for a company called us robotics which i thought was the best name of any company ever so i had to apply for the job and also 
they were paying a lot more than anyone else I could I could get a job with. So I joined the company in um, in, in the mid nineties, and this was if anyone was involved in any type of tech company in the mid nineties, you, you any anything attached to a computer was selling like hotcakes. You really you really had to have a very bad business model not to be able to make a lot of money in the mid nineties when everyone was buying PCs for the first time and they were all going into homes and Bill Gates' vision was being realised across the globe. Um, so we were we were selling modems and these were in the days when you know twenty four point four speed that was I mean that was big. You got it. You, when we went to fifty six point six, that was uh, those were heady days. Big upgrades. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. And and there you met your boss, which obviously. Uh, played a, quite a critical role for you because you moved with him to to Hayes, which was the the next business that you that you were an employee at. But also your segue into starting your own things, is that right? Yeah, definitely. So I, I stayed in hardware um, sales, which is typically networking sales um, for, for the next two or three years. And, and my boss was was moving, and he I used to go with him, um, set up the sales function. Um, but yeah, then after that, I. I uh, decided it was time to start my own business. Um, and we had just seen, and this was in the late 90s, we'd just seen the emergence of these new sort of biometric hardware products like fingerprint readers on a keyboard, um, facial recognition systems, iris scanners. And we thought, and they were all coming out of sort of algorithmic firms in the US. Um, and we thought, this is awesome. We'll, we'll go and get global distribution for these products. So we went to California signed up um you know with most of the big biometrics firms that we had the right to to distribute their 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 products into europe um went back to europe and thought wow this is awesome we're gonna we're gonna make millions everyone's gonna want a fingerprint reader everyone's gonna want rs security for their homes um and it was you know we started phoning up companies and everyone was like what fingerprint reader yeah come and see us come and see us um and this went on for about three months. And we went to see the Bank of England. We went to government. We went to the airports. Everyone was like, this is amazing. No one bought anything. No one, wow. wanted, no one actually wanted to buy them. <laughs> it was just, they just wanted to look at them. Um, it was just too early. So it's one of those things where I, th I think we hadn't, we hadn't done any market research into what people actually wanted. We just thought this was the coolest thing we'd ever seen and everyone would want it. Um, it turns out those things sometimes aren't, aren't connected. Um, so it did, it did, it did make me... Do a lesson, and maybe if I'd called up a company first, at first and asked them if they actually required any biometric hardware, it may have, may have saved me a lot of pain and effort and money. But we learn, we live and learn. Well, absolutely. I mean, as they say, you either succeed or you learn, and in this case, oh, you yeah, definitely yeah. learn. There's so, no uh, no yeah, absolutely. So, so I guess from from this experience, I mean, what was your takeaway? Yeah, I mean, the takeaway the, the, the takeaway is that that yeah, obviously try and do some research and understand what the customer actually wants before you um, before you go into things, and also understand that just because something's cool and amazing doesn't mean enterprises want to buy it. People are actually enterprises by virtue of being large organisations are generally risk averse. So whilst they all want to poke and prod a fingerprint reader, they don't actually want one, or to get it through would be very difficult. So. It's really understanding what the buyer wants, I guess, and if there's actually a market for it. And it turns out, 20 years on, there's a huge market for biometrics, but it's all integrated into hardware products. It's not sold as separate items. Um, but nevertheless, yeah, those those were some of the key learnings. But it did make me think, you know, as we as we started to, you know, understand actually hard, selling hardware in general, if it was manufactured in Europe, was really a, a problem, just because China was emerging. Um, as a real force in global trade. So 
anything we shipped into sort of European retailers was just being undercut for price um, and quality in a lot of cases by China. So my next idea, I thought, right, well, I can't beat the Chinese with hardware. So what? But I can beat them with one product that they can't ever uh, manufacture on their own or in their country, which was champagne. So I, I realized they couldn't grow grapes. Um, you could only grow grapes between 30 and 50 degrees latitude, and that doesn't allow China to grow grapes. And I thought, this is the best idea ever. All, all China is emerging, middle class is emerging. They're going to want brands, they're going to want um, champagne. I will be the supplier to China of champagne. Um, so, I, so I went over to the champagne houses um, outside Paris, did, you know, got, uh, ended up being a stockist, you know, got, got a load of stuff shipped to the UK, went out to China with the remit of, look, you know, I'm gonna this, I'm gonna start selling champagne to the Chinese, but realised all the champagne houses were already out there with proper distribution channels, making a lot of money. So there wasn't really space for a broker like me. But the good news was my house was full of champagne for a while, so I had a lot of friends. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but but I want to ask you here, Peter, because obviously this was the the second rodeo, and obviously the second time that the that the outcome was not the one that you had anticipated. So. So how was this for you? Because I'm sure it was not a it was not an easy an easy an easy time in in your journey. Well, luckily I had champagne to weather me through the bad days. But no, no, kidding aside, it was I didn't really learn the lessons of the first start. The, the, the biometric company, by the way, is called Identology. I I I, I wager you can never find a better name for a biometrics company than Identology. But it's only after the second one that I really realised, <laughs> yeah, I probably need to investigate things before I jump in with both feet. Um, and not every business I do is going to work, and not every idea I have is actually a good idea. Um, I guess when you're thinking about starting something, you always you always think to yourself that everything you you know your idea is amazing, and why can't anyone else understand it? They just they can't be they, they, they they're obviously not clever enough to understand this. Whereas reality is, most people are. Yeah, it was a silly idea. So I've, I've sort of realised you probably have to think these things through a bit. Um, before you do that, so the, the the after the after after the champagne business called Jess Champ, great name. Um, I went. I I started. I, I found a guy that was running a, uh, a a company in Battersea in London, and he'd created. He was a, he was in, he was working at the BBC, and he'd created a a visual database of um, uh, that you could you know any media anyone that's dealing with a large volume of media. And this was sort of two thousand and five. So people, you know, if you were in certain job roles in the creative industries, you started to have to deal with a huge amount of digital media. And he'd come up with a database, a visual database where you could throw any media file format in, whether it's a photo, a video, a font, uh, whatever it was, and organize it, manage it, batch process it. Um, and it was, and I turned up there and, and he had uh, on the wall with just award after award from Apple. Um, and I was like, well, there's something here, definitely. This, this is really interesting. Um, so I, got, I ended up working there in Battersea. There wasn't many people there. It was only about um, 10 or 15. Um, but we realized pretty quickly that uh, we sort of deployed the crossing the chasm theorem, which is just absolutely target uh, you know, a market um, and try and dominate in that particular sector. So we targeted professional photographers who had a real need for some sort of organizational tool um, and we changed the whole business, marketing, sales to target professional photographers, and the product started being evolved to speak to professional photographers. And we we just we built this amazing sort of visual database for pros, um, and we tried to sell it to Yahoo, 
to Jerry. He wasn't interested. He bought Flickr. Um, and on that same trip, we drove up to Redmond and we spoke to Microsoft who were looking for a tool for their new sort of Adobe killer suite, their Adobe creator suite. And they ended up uh, buying us in the end after about 18 months. Um, and it was great. And we shipped, you know, it's 35 people then at iView and everyone went to Redmond um, and everyone was relocated over to Seattle. And it was quite a young company with young people. I was still sort of youngish then. And it was, um, yeah, it was an amazing time. And obviously, I mean, it's a, it's interesting here because after the, the champagne experience, you know, with your, <laughs> with your last company, I mean, it, it took a little bit of time, you know, for you to really go at it again, which is with your most recent one. I mean, with Wagestream. Uh, but you really were able to take roles in companies that really help you understand perhaps how to master execution. I mean, you were just talking about iView Media, how you guys sold that to Microsoft. I mean, then, for example, leaving social, I mean, taking that from one to a hundred people there in the UK. So, so how did you go about doing that? Yeah, I mean, I think you learn the lessons of startup land, which even though you always think your product or your idea or your solution is different there are certain rules um in order to make things happen and execute and it is all down to execution and anyone that's started numerous businesses will tell you the same it's about real razor focus it's about moving quickly but also having a clear strategy um and, and understanding you know what's going to work and how to deploy the assets you've got and i mean the main thing when you start something is just get to market as quickly as possible um, make sure you're iterating as, 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 as often as you can, but have a really clear strategy about where you're taking that quickly. Um, it's very easy in the early days to you'll get some initial traction. Um, it's really understanding if that's if that's if that's going to have any longevity and if that's actually going to be a market that's going to expand for you. So um, yeah, moving moving fast with with razor focus at the beginning is really important because any startup founder, if they if they've got a great idea or a great concept. Um, we'll always get a lot of inbound interest and a lot of people, a lot of just sort of type of distractions and a lot of people saying, oh, I should do this, you should do that, or try to be thought about this. You've really got to focus on um, something initially and in the market initially in order to make it work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then after, you know, really seeing this incredible fast growth, I mean, you did a couple more stints, one at White Plan, which got acquired, and then Anat Wine, which also got acquired. But that was your segue into your latest company. So tell us about how you really come up, you know, with the idea of Waystream and what did you do to really bring it to life? Well, yeah, because when I was at Living Social, Living Social, I was running the U U Europe for them. Um, they were based in D.C., though. The headquarters was in D.C., um, so I got to know quite a few investors over in DC and, um, whilst after living social, I went on to do other things. Um, one particular investor who I got on very well with sort of called me, you know, this was at the end of, uh, 2000, 2017 and said, Hey, you know, I've just seen something you guys, you should have a look at this. This is, this is an amazing concept. And the concept was, um, could you allow an employee to have access to their earned money, the money they've earned, but has not been paid to them um, as they go through a pay cycle? And if you could do that, um, would you, you would you be able to give them liquidity to the point where they wouldn't have to go into debt between pay cycles? They wouldn't have to pay overdraft fees. They wouldn't have to ever get something um, as predatory as a payday loan. And it was a sort of, and I thought, what an amazing idea. So, um, I thought this is great in 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 Europe where people are paid monthly. 
Um, there's a whole, there's a huge amount of people that suffer from only getting paid every 30 days and 30 day chunks. And if we had the technology that allowed the company, you know, or us to release funds to them as they earn them, so it's only their earnings, so it's not credit of any description, then surely that's a better world for people to live in. And surely that will help a lot of people that do suffer at the end of a pay cycle by not being, not having any money, not being able to get to work, not, not being able to take care of unplanned expenses and sometimes having to go into horrible forms of debt. So I thought that's an amazing concept. And the, the, the investor introduced me to Portman, uh, who's my co-founder and the, the brains behind the whole business. Um, and he, he flew over. This was in January 18. We met for the first time, um, got on like a house of fire, both believed in the business completely, thought this was something that we could both um, really get behind. We saw the social impact of it and the fact that you could actually, you know, if you can change the way the world gets paid, um, this is this is an amazing thing that could that could really help a huge amount of people. We we, we were we were well behind it, so um, we ended up yeah in 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 the in the first part of 2018 going to raise money from this investor that introduced us, but also from other investors, um, and we started it. And that was uh, and from then I from then till today it's been a it's been a whirlwind. That's amazing. So how did you go about? Obviously, you know, like with your past experiences, you really got the exposure to the importance of team and and people. So how did you go about really assembling, you know, that that team? Well, luckily, yeah. So the, the, I I worked at Living Social. When I was at Living Social, I probably recruited about six hundred salespeople. So the five people that still like me came to work at um came to work at Wavestream, and we started we started pretty quick with with just acquisition, like just just let we've got to get you know Portman built the product really quickly. We got another developer on board, Carl, who, who's amazing. Um, they built it really quickly, and the, the the thing was, let's just get this in the market. Let's get customers using it. Let's get this um, this working so that we can prove that it actually does exist. You know, is something that people want. Um, so we we did that really quickly. Within sort of weeks, we had a working model of the product. We were demoing it, um, and I literally believe. You know, can you imagine? I'm going to go to your company and say, your staff can get paid whenever they like. This has got to be the best. It's like selling gold. That's, I thought there'd be a queue of um, CEOs outside the door with pens ready to sign contracts. Um, but that queue never appeared. So we actually had to go out and get some. Um, and it, was, it wasn't as easy as I thought, actually, to sell it into companies when it's a completely new idea and a new innovation. So we ended up classically signing, and we were in Waterloo at the time, we ended up signing the pizza restaurant below our office because one of the sales guys bought about 40 pizzas from them in the course of 48 hours, and they had to sign something in the end. Uh, they were so guilty. So we, we ended up signing them. Um, and then as a result of that, got them live and then went on to sign and start to sign more of the hospitality brands um, and then start to form partnerships as well with companies we thought we could, we could uh, that would be a better distribution path for us. So what ended up being the business model for the people that are listening to really get it? Yeah, so the business models, it, it, it sort of evolved from where it was. And this, this, this whole thing is, you know, we call it income streaming, you call it earned wage access. But the business model is sign, contract with a business, access their workplace management, their data at the workplace. So I can tell in real time every single employee how much they're earning. Um, so access their workforce management system and also have a link to their payroll. Um, we roll out the app. Any any worker could download the app, um, and it shows them in real time how much they're earning. They're able to access their earnings, and the model is, you know, as they as they go through a pay cycle and they want to access some of their earnings, we'll fund that. Wavestream funds that. It enters the account in the company's name. 
um, into their account. It goes in their account in like four seconds, um, and they're able to take care of unplanned expenses. And when they next get paid, we just recover the money at payday. So it's a, it's it seems like a quite a lightweight model. We don't do workforce management systems, and we don't do payroll systems, but we link to both of those, and we get this in, we get this data set, which shows me in real time how much you as an employee of that company are earning. So I can show you how much you're earning. I can also show you how much you're going to earn based on either your salary or how many shifts you've got in the rotor. Um, and what we've evolved the product to now is the product also has open banking. So we can ask an employee, hey, can we link to your bank account? We can see all your outgoings. So you end up with these two data sets, the workplace data and the open banking data. And that those two combined are completely unique. I don't think anyone's linked those before. And what it's allowed us to do is understand that actually um, we can provide some absolutely unique financial services from employer to employee that aren't available anywhere else to that employee that a bank will never be able to make available. Um, And the whole concept for us now is, wait a minute, can't we get the employer to be the provider of financial services to the employee as opposed to a bank, which will always try and monetize financial services? If with fintech and technology, we can get the employer to be the provisioner of those financial services. And the first one now is obviously earned wage access. Can you access your earnings? It means that you've changed the incentive structure of 400 years of banking, really, because an employer doesn't want to make money from providing financial services. They want better retention rates. They want more productive staff. They want happier staff, more engaged staff. So they look at things that are inclusive, that reduce financial stress that help staff in a way that a bank will never help an, an individual, if that makes sense. Um, so what we're at the forefront of really is this emerging trend in workplace banking, which will mean banks don't necessarily have to be the providers of financial services anymore because the employer and the employee together actually as a closed unit are far more effective if they if the employer is providing them for their staff. Got it. And obviously, for this, you guys have uh, raised quite a bit of money too. Uh, so, how much capital have you guys raised to date? Um, just over forty million now. Uh, so we've gone through yeah. our B round. Uh, we got some great seed funding from QED, um, and we also from Fair by Design, which brought in our social impact charities like Joseph Roundtree, Barry Cadbury over here. So they, you know, and with them we formed a social charter in our articles that said, look, every, every product we build, every profit we make has to go into funding um, to help the poverty premium, which is trying to help, um, you know, lower income workers, you know, get out of issues with, with debt and poverty. So we, we have a, you know, real social mission around that. Um, we feel that paying people every 30 days is very unhelpful, whereas allowing people to access their earnings actually does prevent a lot of bad debt forming in someone's life. Um, but moving on, we're, we're seeing that actually, there's a lot of other things we can do. We can allow people to save directly after every shift. We can give people access to financial education. Um, we can almost now predict their financial future by knowing their outgoings, knowing their capacity to earn. And then you can produce this like financial Fitbit type model, uh, which can show someone in real time, not just what they've, what their financial picture is today, but what they is going to be in two or three weeks time. And that's, that's very powerful information to put in someone's hands. It means they make different decisions about their finances. And have you have you raised any debt on top of that, or is just the, the? Yeah, we have. We've got a we got a twenty five mil line from 
um, a, a bank we love called Shawbrook Bank, um, and and we've that's enabled us to fund a lot of these transfers because at the end of the day we're funding the transfers. We've got a license to move money, um, so we can move money in the company's name. So if you work at Booper or David Lloyd Gyms or you know Leon. We, we, when you when you're an employee of those firms and you want some of your wages, you can access them and it comes into your account in their name, uh, which is really important, obviously. So they know where that money is sourced from, even though we WageStream has funded that. Um, and the reason we fund it is because most most companies in Europe move to monthly pay because they because of cost savings, but also they want to keep cash flow. And cash flow is really important to a business, as we all know. So it wasn't going to be obvious that they funded it so we had to fund it so we have a capital we have a credit facility to fund that um but the reason we can keep our costs so low and the, the charge to the employee which is one pound 75 the reason we can keep that so low is that every time an employer pays their staff we recover you know the money that they've transferred or we've given them between pay cycles and because employee employer pay cycles at all different dates and times of a month we can pull from that facility and rotate it five or six times in a month so it keeps our cost lower. So obviously here for you as an entrepreneur, I mean, you've done tech, you've done consumer goods, now you're doing fintech. So I guess uh, when you're doing fintech, obviously it's heavily re- heavily regulated, no? So would you say that it was a steep learning curve for you? Yeah, it is It is heavily regulated. We don't we don't loan or provide any form of credit. So we're not, we don't have to be regulated. Um, we are, we do a lot of work with the FCA, um, and, and, and you know we, we are regulated to move money. We have an EMI license to move money, um, but actually we're a very regulatory light business, which is good. Um, we don't we don't because we don't loan or provide credit. We don't we don't need that regulation. Um, so therefore we can move, and that's hence we've launched in Spain, in the Netherlands, and now we've launched in the US. And none of those need to be regulated entities because we are only giving people access to the money their company owes them. Very nice. Very nice. So so imagine, Peter, that you go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where, let's say, in five years when, I mean, tremendous news, right? So you wake up in a world where the vision of wage stream is fully realized. What does that world look like? It means the employer is the bank. Um, and the, the only way our mission is to provide fair financial services and after 400 years of banking, banks have been unable to provide fair financial services the, to, to, to people. The only way to do it is get the employer to do it. So in, if I wake up in five years' time, hopefully there's a, a vaccine, uh, number one. Number two, there is, there is the um, everyone has access to their earnings, but also everyone is able to, to provision amazing financial services from their employer. And employers will see this as the biggest benefit ever because the the biggest benefit for yet for, for, for since companies began the biggest benefit a company gives their employees is pay i mean you can have free food fruit bowls yoga classes and and nice offices but if you didn't pay people you probably wouldn't have a lot of employees that hang around pay is the most important benefit making that more flexible more real more meaningful it has an emotion and it keeps people you know it makes people happier with the employer it gives people more empowerment um, and if you could increase that and provide other financial services on top to help people, to help your staff, um, there's definitely an emotive bond there. So in five years' time, I think in less than five years' time, everyone, most most employees, certainly in, in shift working industries, will have access to their earnings. It's happening pretty quickly, not just from us, but from multiple other competitors. So where, where then, where do you see your segment going as a whole? 
Well, the, it, everyone's going to go different directions, like right, like everything does. Um, I think that right now, if you look at the landscape, you know, there's only sort of zero point zero three percent of firms in the UK actually provide an income streaming solution to their staff. But we know from analyst reports, twenty five thirty percent are looking at it right now. So what what we're, we're you know you're seeing right now an early majority market start to adopt um, income streaming. Right, we've got large large UK businesses now rolling this out to their staff, and that will only increase because the feedback we're getting from staff and employers is just amazing. It's 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 a it's an amazing benefit to give. So it's going to happen everywhere. So there's there's certainly not a mass market solution yet, but it's emerging into that sort of that early adopter market. We've gone through the innovators, so. We're, we're pretty excited about that. But I think where we're going with it is um, earned wage access is just one product um, that, a, that an employer can give their staff, a financial product. There's a lot of other things an employer could do to really help their staff budget, save, um, you know, make money out of money they've got, all this type of stuff. So we're, we're exploring all those types of new product sets at the moment. And because we sit between the employer and the employee in terms of flow of funds and the month that the net pay moves through us to the employer employee that we there's a lot of great things we can do to help them so for the people that are listening to give them like a sense on the size of the business because obviously i mean i'm seeing here that in on the employee count just in the last 12 months alone you guys have grown by 42 percent the employee count so i'm, I'm wondering you know anything that you can share around you know like maybe like the size of the business number of employees or anything yeah, sure. I mean, there's there's 80 of us now. Um, we always wanted to make it really, you know, we always had this dream of making it really small, just the Instagram 17 people. But unfortunately, need more people, need more really good people. Um, so, yeah, we've grown the business. We are, you know, there's hundreds of millions of pounds worth of payroll are now flowing through uh, Wavestream Tech. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely grown a lot. Um, and it's sort of, you know, as you get into larger enterprises, it jumps up. So we've, you know, we, we we work across sectors here uh, with hospitality, retail, and healthcare and facilities, and and uh, we, we you know we've expanded it into other territories as well. But it is you know it, it, we're doing it, others are doing it. it. Everyone will have you know earned wage access is happening everywhere, um, and it's a good thing, and it's something that once certainly once people have it, you know they never want to give that up, and then ne- no one ever wants to go back to a monthly pay cycle because that's just not not fun for anyone. Absolutely. So uh, one of the questions that I typically ask the guests that come on the show is, I mean, in your case, I mean, what an incredible journey, you know, like going from company to company, from founder to I'm operator, tired. from I'm operator. Tired, I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there you go. I mean, it's amazing, the journey. So so I guess if you had that opportunity, Peter, of, of going back in time and being able to have a sit down with your younger self, maybe that younger self that was coming out of university or, or maybe like thinking about launching a business when you were in your, in the U.S. robotics company, your first job. I mean, what would be that one piece of business advice that you would give to your younger self before launching a business and why knowing what you know now? Um, no, never start a champagne business, never start a biometrics business. But most importantly, I think I should have started on my own earlier. Um, I think that's really important. I think the lessons you learn as an entrepreneur with your own business are just lessons you learn for life. And whether it's a great experience or a hard, I mean, it's never going to be, you know, it's never going to be not stressful. But even if it fails, those lessons 
are defining in your life. So there's all everyone always says, well, it's not the right time now. I can wait. But the sooner you, if you, if you feel you're made for entrepreneurial life, start as soon as possible because the lessons you learn as an entrepreneur uh, just cannot be learned working for someone else. And and, and I'll caveat that with don't, don't start a champagne business, don't start a biometric business. <laughs> No, no, I hear you. But, you know, I hear you there. I mean, without a doubt, obviously, the outcome is important because that's what you end up celebrating. But I think that people forget, you know, how you really need to embrace the journey. And it's all about the journey. Correct. So, it is. Um, and it's, uh, it's, 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 it is. And uh, however, like you said, rightly said, however good or bad they go, um, I don't think anyone really wants to go back and, and not have those experiences because it, whatever you learn and one that didn't work, you probably make it right in the, in the other one. Um, so yeah, absolutely. So Peter, for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Oh, LinkedIn, LinkedIn always. Amazing. If, if you're a huge company that has a huge workforce and needs earned wage access, I'll give you my personal, my personal phone number. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you for being on the dealmaker show, Peter. No worries. Great to speak to you. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.